0: Welcome to Amazon Legends, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became power sellers. Also, providers specializing in helping sellers, aggregators that acquire sellers, and former Amazonians will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here is your host, Nick Urisen.
1: Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. My next guest today has been in the e-commerce space for a decade and a half, both as a seller and a provider. So that makes everything that he does with sellers directly from experience. So it's more authentic. Uh, in fact, uh, his a little bit of a story, I'm going to ask him more about it, is as a seller, one of the items that he was selling, he supplied it as a piece of equipment to the legendary show Breaking Bad. So <laughs> I'm sure you've heard about that, so we'll, uh, we'll we'll ask him about that. So today, he's the co-founder of Canopy Management, which is a full-service Amazon agency with focus on advertising and marketing. And outside Canopy, he has other businesses, and he likes RV travel and good food so with that everybody meet my guest brian johnson welcome to the show brian
0: glad to be here this is awesome
1: well tell me about that breaking bad thing how the hell did they find you for god's sake what was it what was it
0: so so this was for this is back in the early uh, early seasons of breaking bad which is an amc production that they they filmed in new mexico i was living in arizona uh, arizona at the time and at the time, I was running a drop shipping business where I was selling money counting equipment, um, you know, banknote counters, coin sorters, um, you know, some of those kind of fraud detection, some of that kind of equipment, right? And I represented probably, gosh, it was I think it was probably seven or eight different brands. And one of the products that I had was this large, uh, I would say large, but I mean like medium-sized money counter. And it was uh, just completely black. Most, most of that kind of equipment is white or silver or something like that. This one was just black, right? <clears throat> and so I got a phone call from one of the sourcing agents for AMC, AMC Studios saying, hey, we're doing this show and we need to get a hold of a piece of equipment. We like what you have. Do you have that in stock? I'm like, yes, I do. It's like, is there any way you can ship that to me overnight through FedEx? I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I can definitely, I can pack it and ship it out to you overnight. And I said like, what's the show? He he goes, well, you've never heard of this show. It's a a small show uh, from AMC, we call it Breaking Bad. I'm like, I love Breaking Bad. He goes, you've heard of us? I'm like, yeah. So this was season, I think it was season two, episode nine or 10, somewhere around there, right? So it really hadn't taken off as, as a wildly popular series. And so the next day they filmed that that session, that, that uh, episode. And there's two episodes in the whole series of Breaking Bad where they've got a money counter in the background just, you know, rattling through cash, right? Because they had—they that was always their problem—is they were getting too much cash, and they needed to be able to count it. So this was the first time that something showed up, and they said, "Like, hey, we need to speed up operations. We can't sit there and be counting, you know, cash, right?" And This is Walter White talking to Jesse Pinkman, you know, as the partners in in the drug trade, and they had all this ca- stacks of cash, and they they started, you know, they camera you know pivots over to the machine that I sent to them the night before and I think the shipping was actually more expensive than the equipment (laughs) and they're like wait you know they drop it in okay cool there's a stack cool okay uh you know works every time and uh yeah so that was my uh that was my uh I don't know what do you you call it it's kind of like a, a cameo uh You know, a cameo participation into a show that I really enjoy, Breaking Bad, uh, even though I wasn't there, (laughs) but I I helped make that scene happen. So
1: I wonder how um, they found you. So obviously, it was just a
0: search on Google, honestly. So I had my own uh, e-commerce site and I also sold across eBay. I hadn't started selling on Amazon at the time, um, but I was selling across eBay. I had my own e-commerce site and the e-commerce site had enough. Uh, traction at that point where apparently they had found me just through my own website just through a google search
1: right that's great i mean uh this kind of uh, it, it's a refreshing thing to hear because we think that you know big business rules everything and there's no room for small business but it's it's so nice to see productions like this are actually going out hunting for products yeah. and without really caring for you know who sells it as long as it works and, and and there is always this tendency to give more opportunity to small businesses. So uh, that's, a, that's a nice example. So Brian, when you and I discussed, you kind of gave your methodology for making Amazon sellers successful uh, when you work with your clients. And it, it came across very simple. Can you give us what your formula is for success?
0: Yeah. So so this is something that I've been working on. So I've been in the Amazon space for about eight years now, e-commerce total about 15 years, uh, Amazon space for about eight years. And one of the, one of the areas that I had, um, landed on and turns out that I focused on and I was very passionate about, um, there's two things now, but, uh, the first one was the advertising. And of course the second one, uh, that came out with, had to do with things like conversion rate optimization, listing optimization. And so those go together very well. <laughs> so when, uh, you know, uh created software, created a you know training course, all that kind of stuff. These things eventually led into the agency canopy management. And one of the things that we had done is we had taken the the knowledge that I had and we put it into processes. And um absolutely critical for any startup business, by the way. If you don't have processes, you're gonna just you're gonna crash and burn real fast. Um but what we had done is we created our advertising and conversion rate uh, system in order to help our clients to grow on Amazon, right? So our biggest two kind of stand uh, or, or, or two differentiators that we do for Amazon clients is the stand, you know, being able to stand out from the competition, having a product stand out from competition. And then, of course, capture the sale, actually, you know, capture the sale for uh, that shopper uh, purchasing that product.
1: Okay, so what I'm hearing from you is the first thing that you focus on is to, you have a bunch of listings that come up when somebody does a search. Yep. Goal is to stand out.
0: Correct. From yeah.
1: those other listings. And the second part is, once you stand out, you've done a good job, you click, the, the shopper clicks on it, they are now on the product detail page. At that point, it becomes a conversion game. So that's where you're capturing the shopper. Yeah, so it's, it's a strong approach.
0: Yeah, three-stage, yeah. Stand out, capture their attention to bring them in, and then keep their, their attention by converting them to an actual sale.
1: Okay, so okay fine so let's let's now dissect this operation because I want you to um let' let's take this opportunity to dissect how that plays out and what are the factors so what we're gonna do is we're gonna first focus on that standing out I guess that's where the ranking uh, plays a big role the main image and the title and all that so you'll yeah. you'll walk us through your methodology of how you, uh, do this, and then we're gonna dig into once they are on the uh, and, and capturing their attention. Of course, that's all. It's all happening on the search results, and then once they click on the listing, now they are on the product detail page. That's where a lot happens, a lot of factors, and then we'll hear from you how you handle that part. So Absolutely. that's the way uh, we're gonna. Okay, great. So let's jump right in then. So on the standing out. So walk us through how you go about doing that.
0: So standing out is going to be being seen, have your product actually seen in search results or as a shopper is browsing across Amazon, right? That's visibility. To get the visibility, you've got to have your listing optimized for SEO, for search engine optimization. You have to be found by the search engine in the first place. So there's SEO. And then of course, the visibility of simply just having the product show up more often is gonna be advertising, right? So it's gonna be visibility is what is going to get the product seen in the first place in search results. From there, we need to be able to capture the attention of the shopper to pull them into the product listing. So by capturing their attention, um, we are having it so that that's that's the biggest standout part. Not only are you seen, but now you separate, you differentiate yourself from the competition so that shoppers say like, oh, they've got something special that's hooking their attention, it's capturing, right? You pull them into the product listing and from the product list listing, you reward them with, okay, here's the answers to uh, the benefits and uh, what actually compels them to say, this is the product that I was hoping I would find when it, when I first saw it.
1: Okay, so so I have a question for you here which i don't i have some ideas about what the answer is and i'd like to hear your take so yeah. i heard you mention just a minute ago you have to optimize it and then optimize your listing so that you have the right keywords uh, as part of your content and then you have to advertise it. Yeah. so advertising will bring the visibility to that listing so as you know you may have 100,000 let's make it more realistic let you may have let's say 12,000 searches on a particular keyword that you are bidding on okay and and you are and your hope is okay i'm going to pay the highest bid so that i can come up right at the top when somebody uses that search term. Now, doesn't matter whether you pay the highest bid or even pay above the highest bid. You are not going to capture all 12,000 of those searches. Amazon won't let you, right? Right. It's called the share. It's the the, how much of that total search uh, Amazon will let you take a piece. Right. How do you control, what are the factors that contribute to your share of that visibility?
0: <laughs> so, there's a lot more detail that I can go into. Let me kind of give you a, a kind of a generalist summary, because somebody out there is going to be like, going, hey, no, that's not right. There's an exception. Of course, there's always exceptions, right? There's, there's much finer rules that are involved, right? That's kind of where you have to study it in, in great detail and use it every single day to really understand how the ad auction works. So with Amazon's ad auction, is it's going to focus primarily on relevance. In other words, it's going to first look to see, is this the, the content of this listing in all the different, both visible and hidden content fields of a product listing, does it match up to what the shopper is searching for. Ultimately the shopper wants a great shopping experience where a a customer their customer finds what they're looking for and ultimately checks out because they're likely to keep on returning, right? It's a a self-feeding system. And so what they, your, your product listing has gotta be optimized in a way that it matches up with the category, with the search terms, so that you've got a very high relevance to what this shopper is actually searching for. Now, as you mentioned, there's this impression share. So, as an advertiser, we may say, like, well, we want 100% of 12,000 searches per month for this one search term for this one keyword, and that's not going to happen, <laughs> right? Because Amazon's going to show more, you know, show more than one product, of course, because they want some options for the shopper. But in order for us to maximize, we didn't even used to have the reporting, the data that Amazon shares with us now in order to be able to see, well, how well are we doing of capturing X percentage of whatever that search term offers us? We have that kind of reporting. Is it perfect? No, no, of course it's not. It's Amazon reporting. There's always going to be some nuances. Uh, But it helps us to improve and understand, which is probably more important, is understand where our product fits in among the competition, among the search results across, you know, whether it's one key, one search term or a hundred search terms, how well the Amazon considers our product listing to be relevant and ideal for a shopper based off of Amazon's own understanding of what the intent is, the buying intent of that shopper. So there's a little little lot more data that Amazon is not sharing with us because they're monitoring patterns and what they consider to be typical behavior, historical behavior for this shopper, for every other shopper that's in this category. They know specifically within a certain range what sequence and what pattern a shopper uh, uses on Amazon to ultimately make a conversion, to, to make a purchase. And so they're going to continue to align those products and the shopper's buying intent, their behavior with what they think is going to come together to become a conversion. Now we have a lot of power on our side in order to be able to, as as a brand owner, to be able to uh, create and test and retest and retest and retest our product listings in order to try to maximize how much of the share of the search visibility we get, as well as which uh, you know how we're focusing on a specific t- uh, target audience in order to maximize our conversion, and when we get those aligned with our product listing, with our ad campaigns, whether it's product cam- uh, targeting campaigns, category targeting campaigns, keyword targeting campaigns, um, or just kind of general like the automatic campaigns, then if we can get our advertising dialed in and reliably producing click-through and conversion data for Amazon, Amazon's going to evolve their trust of us as a product, as, a, uh, as an advertiser, and they're going to give us more and more of that, progressively more of that impression share. When you first launch a campaign, or when you first launch a product, uh, in both of those cases, you've got no history. So therefore, Amazon doesn't trust uh, the, the relevant. You may have high content relevance, but you don't have historical data to say, hey, you know what? I know the shopper is going to be happy if I send them over to this ad or if I show this ad high or if I send them over to this product listing because uh, I've got all these other competitors who have a history that I, that are more reliable than you right now. Mm-hmm. And so... The idea that you mentioned earlier, as far as bidding high for, uh, you know, to maximize a you know a top of search kind of you know ad placement, you can force <laughs> visibility by bidding extraordinarily high. But a, it's generally not going to be profitable, and it usually is only required the first couple of weeks until Amazon has enough data to start trusting you. Then that cost starts coming down. Yeah, The ad auction is not about who bids the highest, although that is a common myth. Uh, It's first and foremost about relevance. It's filtering out. There's a whole series of adjustments that occurs in the ad auction that involves your bid. But it also involves a number of other things uh, that influence and change your own bid along the way and can ultimately eliminate you from the ad auction altogether so your ad doesn't even show no impression share or pushes it to the front of the line where you have a much higher impression share. Yeah. That's just on the ad side. Then you have the organic side as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, this is exactly it. So there is no such thing as, okay, we are spending only say $5,000 a month, spend $50,000 a month, dominate. No, it doesn't work like that. You have to be Amazon's business model. You know, I, I always bring this up. Amazon's business model is very simple. Provide the best customer experience. What is best customer experience look like? Well, it looks like it's it's completely loaded phrase. It looks like a shopper that comes to Amazon.com, searches something with a particular search term. Yep. Amazon is smart enough to understand what it is that they intend to buy based on that search term and then knows which products would be the best ones to show as a candidate for the shopper to say oh i like one of these and then they click on it and then they like everything that they see about that product on that product detail page and they buy it with one click and then never to hear from that shopper again because they were so happy. They come back, leave a positive, you know, positive five-star rating, never uh, return the item, never ask for a refund, never complain, never do anything. Right. That is the best customer experience.
0: That's the ideal. <laughs>
1: so, yeah, that's the ideal they're shooting for. So now when you break that down, what are we talking about? We're talking about relevance, right? So I don't want to... Amazon is going to say, I'm not going to show any products that are not relevant to this particular search term. I don't care how much they are paying for it. I'm not going to show it. Uh, Number two, I'm not going to show a product that is relevant, but it's low rated. People send so many uh, items back. It has a high refund rate. By the way, the seller is also rated pretty low, got shut down. God knows how many times they've got uh, 25% negative uh, rating as a seller. Because you may buy a good product, but buy from a bad seller. That's that's also going to give you a bad experience. So it's not just the product, but it's the seller also matters. So all these things combined, the algorithm then says, okay, these are the best ones to look at. And then, of course, right there, uh, the game starts. So, starting from so, in the long run, the more relevant you become, as you put it, with the historical data, which means you're selling well under a particular search term. People are converting right. the highest when they search with that search term. Then you, your data starts to tilt. Uh, to your favor, and then your share of that visibility starts to go up, and that's when you start to see a huge
0: scale coming in.
1: Right? W- would that be right?
0: Yeah, it's close. Yes. So, so uh, you figure that the organic search is different than the uh, than the advertised search. It actually is two different uh, algorithms that do overlap. Now, with advertising, it's more concerned about the click through right? Because Amazon is a very big revenue generating uh, model for Amazon. So part of that customer experience is they see the shopper finds in the search results, both advertised products and organic search products. The organic search products are primarily there because they sell a lot of units, right? It's a sales volume, sales velocity type of uh, solution at its core. It's not the only thing with any of these, but it definitely drives a, a heavy portion of the visibility is the sales volume. The problem with that, of course, is if you have a product that's five times the cost or five times the sales price is all your competition, your sales velocity is gonna be way slower than your competition. And therefore you're not usually going to win that organic uh, rank because it's not off of dollar volume. It's off of unit velocity sold on the organic side. So conversion rate weighs heavily on the organic ranking. On the advertise visibility, it's gonna be uh, much more heavily judged on the click-through rate because the click-through rate does bring revenue, add revenue to Amazon, but it also is an indicator to Amazon that the shopper found your advertisement relevant enough to their search that they click through to learn more, to see more. Granted, I would guess probably 20, 30% of those clicks are just out of curiosity clicks. I would love it if Amazon had the ability to say, look, only show my ad if the current shopper has an average purchase price point within my range of product. If they're always, if their average price point that they you know, they buy at is $50 and I sell a $200 product, don't show the ad. I don't want the curiosity clicks. I want people who are serious. I would love it if Amazon had that kind of filtering available, maybe someday. But ultimately, they have to rely on other things as far as, like you said, the, like we were talking about is the, uh, the, the pattern, the buying intent of the shopper, whether or not Amazon thinks they're going to buy today or they're not based off of uh, the conditions that they, that they observe. And they're going to show ads differently. They're going to show organic differently based off of what they think that buyer intent is today for this particular item based off the search terminology, their location, all that. And so, ultimately, we want to make sure that we are, with it with the ad campaigns, we first maximize the click through rates, and then secondarily, for tiebreakers, we have to look at what are the conversion rate, along with what are whole some of the, uh, <coughs> excuse me, some of the different uh, placement factors and you know campaign bidding strategies, and some of these other factors that go into controlling how aggressive that we are going to be as advertisers to the advertising campaign. So what that means for a brand is I'm either going to get more organic sales because I've got a lot more sales velocity on these search terms, or I am advertising well, and I'm getting a higher click-through rate on my ads. And that's going to get high high visibility for my products or Try to create some kind of a balanced blend there so that the advertising uh, is not so expensive that it's untenable, you know, that you can't just keep, you know, going. Uh, So you find that balance between these two different types of decisions that Amazon makes to show your product.
1: Yeah. Okay. So now that we have a good handle on what gets us the higher share of, that visibility under a particular search term. Now the customer is looking at the search results and we are somewhere there. And, and also, by the way, as we, from day one, you launch a listing, you've got no history, no nothing. All you got is maybe great content. Uh, so you run the PPC campaign and under those PPC campaign, search terms that you are advertising you start to pick up some rank on those keywords and and now you've got history and you are uh, starting to pick up some organic ranking under right. those keywords with the help of your ppc campaign so just so if you do a good job and this is why i i always tell people Don't go building a listing and launching it and then start hunting for a PPC agency because they go hand in hand. Your content has to support the PPC campaign and your PPC campaign has to work off of your content. And maybe you left out some good search terms uh, from uh, when you built your content, but PPC is not going to be able to get much from uh, bidding on those because you've got no content to support it. So they go hand in hand. Uh, So therefore, if you do this the right way and with the right people, they're going to work to get you ranked organically. And therefore, you are going to see fairly quickly that on that same page, you're going to see your sponsored listing and your organic listing appear. And that actually is a good impact on the shopper because clearly they can see that you, know, you are there when they do the search organically. And then also you are you start to dominate the page somewhat. Uh, and that way you have that organic visibility as well as the page. So now you are on that page and they are looking at you. So now uh, let's talk about standing out. How do you stand out sure. and capture that attention because you've got so many others, and especially these days, you've got the sponsored listings, you've got the organic listings, you've got the video ads, you've got those display ads on the side, you've got the sponsored brands. <laughs> you've got, you got all kinds going on. How how do you capture attention?
0: Yeah, there's definitely there's 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 over thirty different ad placements on Amazon. Most people don't realize there's so many, Um, and so dialing in each one of those is is um, some art and science combined, but think it. Take a step back and look. At, think of it as as if you were a shopper. Think about the last time you went shopping on Amazon. Um, more than half of the search and shopping now is done through mobile devices. Small, you know, smartphones that have limited amount of space. Amazon's going to have more of a compressed view, <laughs> even if they're on a on a, a desktop on a laptop, for instance. Uh, they're going to have a much more, uh, in other words, Amazon throws a lot at the shopper as far as content goes. The mobile version is simpler. Uh, there's less noise, if you will, but it's also uh, a very reduced opportunity for for a brand to be able to get the attention of the shopper. So, when it comes to standing out to differentiating, the shopper does a search, comes back with a listing, a list of products. There's still going to be things like video ads, like right up front, right? And advertised products up front. Um, there's going to be some organic listings. They're looking at small main image, you know, just a little tiny icon, you know, small main image, partial title, maybe the first 75 to 80 characters of a title. And other than that, they're looking at things like, um, you know, review rating, price. There's not a whole lot of information for them to uh, to separate the differences between products. It's not a comparison table to say, here's the features, you know, compared next to each other. That'd be nice, right? So to stand out to a shopper, you have to first and foremost, grab their eye, right? You got to, you think about the last time you shopped on your, on, you know, through your smartphone. You probably used your thumb and you're just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling through a bunch of listings to see kind of what was available, right? See what caught your eye what stood out. You probably pay more attention to the first couple because that's what came up first. But ultimately you're looking for something that matches what your expectations of what you're looking for is. Maybe you've got a specific color in mind that you didn't put into search. Maybe you've got a certain price point that you're looking for that you didn't put into search. Maybe it is a certain feature uh, that, uh, or a specification that you're looking for that you didn't put into search. But oftentimes as consumers, we make a combination of both a logical and an emotional decision. The logical is that has the features that I require. The emotional is I want this because it's going to do something. It's gonna solve a problem for me. It's gonna take away some pain. It's going to increase my enjoyment about something. Right. So we have an emotional attachment to what is this product. I'm buying this product so that I can, and you've gotta be able to answer that about each of your products. From a consumer standpoint, they are buying your products so that they can what? That is what you're selling, is the end result, not your product, okay? So your listings, starting with the main image, and then the first 75 characters of that title, have gotta pop, they've gotta stand out from your comp- competition, from their main image, from their title, bright colors. I've done like full studies on this across thousands of search terms to see where shoppers um, looked at, you know, what what caught their eye first. Motion, of course, was was the number one thing that caught their eye. Uh, Until recently when Amazon started introducing the brand video ads at the top of page where the headline is, Video was down below the fold. It was down, you know, down the scroll a little bit, down the page a bit. And so video didn't catch their eye. What caught their eye next is bright colors, you know, red, blue, green, yellow, you know, something that was bright, but only in situations where it was substantially different than the rest of the competitors. So part of a very succinct, very short version of a whole other thing that I, That I've taught in the past is identifying what is the common pattern among your competitors that come up in search results, and then breaking that pattern, standing out, differentiating with either having a main photo with, uh, you know, let's say like you've got a black colored product and everybody else is black, and it's just it's a black colored product. You can't change the product to red and say like, oh, I'm going to stand out because somebody's looking for a black colored product. But you can accent with either like accessories that have a bright color, a box that's in the, you know, a foot in the background kind of blurred out a little bit of bokeh, you know, in the photo uh, that's in the background, that's a bright red or a bright blue or something like that, right? Something that stands out that nobody else is using or very few are using. So there's a pop of color that draws their eye first. So not not only are you capturing their eye first in order to draw their eye, to pause for a split second on your main image and your title. And you've got just a couple of seconds for that first 75 characters of their title to hook them. That hook is your next, is your your step two. First one's the main image. Step two is that first 75 characters. What is going to hook their attention to say, oh, this product has something different that I want to know more about begs their curiosity, hooks them into clicking through to your product listing. Mm -hmm. That can be a two or three word benefit or a feature that nobody else has stated. Doesn't mean that you're the only one who has it. You're just the only one who's stated it up front to a shopper. Give them a reason to say, think about like, I'm going to buy this product, not for the product, but what does it solve for me? what you know does it give me more enjoyment for x does it solve a pain for y does it do something else z right know who your target audience is and what their pain what they're trying to solve via your product not just what your product is if you have if you have something like a supplement for instance and you have a differentiating feature like Everybody else has a thousand milligrams, and mine has fifteen hundred milligrams. That fifteen hundred milligrams is a standout differentiator of your product, and should show up in the first seventy-five characters of your title. You can use a full title, just make sure in the first seventy-five characters that they can see that, like, oh, this is a bigger dose. This is this is provides more concentration. Whatever the case is, if you've got a standout feature like that, but then try to either combine that or substitute a two or three word benefit that speaks to, this is the pain that it solves for you. Right. Yeah. Within terms of service, of course, like you can't use like weight loss.
1: (laughs) Well, I I want to hear your take on something that I often apply. So one of the things that people identify with is if they belong to a certain group uh, affiliation with certain characteristic so bottom line it's if they are part of an audience that you're targeting putting that audience in the title as one of the first few words yeah cuz that's what they're going to read right and and they're going to say well that's 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 me Like, for example, I have a client, and actually we're working together right now. Uh, I worked with them a few years ago, and they came back because they need a whole new approach. They manufacture air filtration masks. So they had been in business like four or five years, way before COVID. Of course when covid started masks everybody wanted
0: yeah
1: and they were selling like you know several hundred per hour through their website amazon was even more than that so i mean they could not have enough inventory yeah. the point is before covid they were selling to woodworkers iron workers you know uh power sports people you know like dirt bikes and atv's and things like that's what they did that's that's who bought their product right so uh, their listings were nothing other than just said mask that's all it was so now fast forward now they say okay nobody wants masks there's so many people selling masks how the hell do we do this <laughs> so so now I say to them, well, back to the basics. Mask for woodworkers.
0: Yep. Change
1: your packaging, put woodworker on it, put a, a carpenter, whatever. And now imagine a woodworker comes looking for a mask. What do you think they're going to buy? <laughs> they're gonna buy the ma- yeah. mask that says mask for woodworkers or some generic one, right?
0: That's absolutely true. Yeah.
1: What's your take? I mean, would you? Would you? Do you favor the idea of putting the audience in the title in order to stand out and
0: and catch? Yes, absolutely. Now I realize that requires more work. There's more logistics. You've got to have multiple listings. You've got to make sure that Amazon doesn't. You you don't have the content so. Close to each other, that Amazon mistakes them as being the exact same product, even though technically they are, and then merges them together, which they can do. Um, but I absolutely agree is that that is going to increase click through rate and conversion rate for that specific target audience. A common lazy mistake that are made by brands. And this is still done very heavily on Amazon, which makes it a really easy opportunity for any brand that wants to stand out from their competition. It's usually pretty easy because. Their competition really hasn't changed the way they've done things in years. They came in with a product and they say, oh, well, this is in their title. You know, they'll even keyword stuff and throughout their listing, they'll keyword stuff and they'll say, oh, this is for, um, you know, carpenters and woodworkers and welders and, you know, hobbyists and, you know, construction workers and landscapers. You know, they just, you know, like, like this is for everybody, right? Even worse, Anybody who hears this, and if you have anything along so generic in your title, like for men, women, teens, boys, girls, and you're just like, you're just so unbelievably lazy in your targeting that you're just going to get eaten alive by your competition. Yeah. Uh, Somebody in, if you see that in your competition or in your competitive niche, Call me, I'll tell you exactly how to take them down. That's too easy. So I absolutely agree with you. Is that differentiation? Does it require more work? Does it potentially require more excuse? You don't have to go in and say, like, oh, I need to pull my inventory out of the FBA, relabel half of them and so that they're target. No, you don't need to do that. But you do need to make sure that you've got, um, you do have uh, the inventory that you have at you know at FBA is probably going to be isolated to that one target audience. Figure out who your ideal target audience is that's going to produce the highest conversion rate based off the search terms that they're using, right? Through advertising, through what where you're ranking well is also another indicator of what uh, keywords and what search terms are converting well for your product. You should be able to narrow it down and also where Amazon wants to put your products from a category standpoint. Um, to figure out who your ideal client is. Now you can kind of blend some of these. You don't necessarily have to say like, oh, this is specifically for um, welders and it's you know fire resistant against sparks and all that kind of stuff. It, it's more of a case of if it's simply just for general dust in a mask as an example, right, then it could be for what a specific uh, audience that has, similar kind of dust you know and that could be um you know woodworking and framers you know construction framers you know that's kind of stuff people who work around cutting wood and it's like is the wood particles that are in the air that you're trying to block so you can do kind of a blend of it's this type of solution as opposed to the type of audience uh that is specific but simply just saying oh it's it's N95, therefore, just applies to everybody who needs N95. Don't make them work for it. If you can focus your to a narrower audience, you're going to get a much higher click-through rate. You're going to things like you know your reviews will be you know split up more. Um, You try to want to you want to try to have them as separate standalone products, not just child variations. Uh, a, it's too easy for Amazon to uh, to say like, hey, those are the same product. I'm just going to merge them. So you've got to have your product listings separate enough. You got to have to have some separate inventory. So it does require uh, it does require more work. It does require more inventory. Uh, but you also are going to get better results at the end. You're going to end yeah. up with higher engagement, cup. higher standout, higher conversion rates, higher profitability as a result of taking the time to focus Tightly on your audience you're going after and what the specific pain point is that you're solving with your product.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you're going to get ranked for those keywords that are relevant to that particular audience. Yeah. And you can dominate. Yes, it's going to be a lower volume, but it's going to be a higher conversion. And ultimately, what you are saying to Amazon is provided that you also have a good product that is rated. Sure. Um uh, you can do all the rank business and all that, but if it gets returned, customers are not happy and they start rating it low, it's not gonna work. Yeah. So as I yeah,
0: they put the badges yeah. on there now. It says, Hey, this is returned a lot, or it's not it's rarely ever returned, uh, especially yeah. important for high higher price products. But yeah, they're actually labeling that now as the you know, good returns, bad returns. <laughs>
1: yeah yeah i mean uh, this is this is a, a big deal so uh, but if you have that good product and then you've done all this work you are essentially providing the best customer experience that amazon wants you to so they're going to reward you uh, for it and then that reward comes in the form of cash cash will coming from many many orders you know so yeah. you're going to get more of that share of that visibility and, and that share will continue to go up. And so that's, it takes time and it takes an effort, but if it was easy, everybody else would be doing it, right? So,
0: yeah, it does. It does take time, uh, but yeah. you can absolutely do it. Um, there's a whole conversation as far as, you know, launch strategies and that kind of stuff that can happen, of course, but yeah, getting that relevance dialed in to get the visibility uh getting the the attention grabbing differentiator to stand out from your competition to hook the shopper into your product listing um and then dialing in your your product listing for highest combination of logical and emotional conversion uh that that would be the the final step to to win the day
1: (laughs) yeah well We haven't even started winning the day yet because we're still on the search results page.
0: (laughs) You have to get people to your listing before you can convert them. That's just kind of the math, you know?
1: So we can, I mean, there is so much to talk about on the product detail page. So um, let's, let's, let's move on to the product detail. Let's at least get the conversation started. Perhaps we should do a a part two uh, to cover that because there's so much there. Um, So, so now that the customer said, OK, you know, I see the product that I like and it they seem to be relevant to what I'm looking for. I can see myself using this product. Let me find out a little bit more about it. That's when they click. So yeah. now they are on the product detail page or as the Amazon people call it, PDP. So you are on the PDP. So now we are talking capture. So first, tell me, Brian, my philosophy is the minute that somebody clicks on a search results, product on a search results page, title goes out the window the moment that they land on the product detail page. They are no longer reading the title. What do you think?
0: I do agree on that. You, you You get to see the full title but I would say that they've already made a choice to come through based off of the main image and the title, the short, the short form of the title. So the first thing that shoppers are going to do when they come to your product detail page, you've already pulled them in, you sucked them in through some kind of differentiator that stood out on the front end, right? As far as the the main image and the title. But once they're in the product detail page, now you've got to essentially solve their curiosity, right? So the the images the secondary images are going to be very important especially on a mobile mobile device since those come up first and secondarily is going to be the bullet points the product description or ideally you've got a plus content going on because that's going to give you a lot more power but ultimately those that images and the messaging you have throughout your product detail all align to lead with what is it what's in it for me Right? What's, the, what's the benefit to me as a shopper to own this product? What's it going to solve for me? I don't want the product. I want the solution. And then what are maybe some unique or differentiating features or aspects of this product that support each of those benefits? That's how you're going to lock them in, keep them from getting distracted by other noise, other competitors, uh, trying to sell them a similar product. That's how you're going to differentiate. That's how you're going to close the sale is lead with the benefits, support with the differentiating uh, features, and make sure that it's consistent and clear and at their language level, which I, I can go into a lot more detail on that.
1: Yeah. So, Brian, this is, this is where the action is in terms of shopper looking at the listing and then making the buying decisions. So uh, the name of the game, as you know, is conversion rate, to increase the conversion rate because you're spending money on the clicks, and you've done a good job getting indexed, and ultimately the goal is bring them to the product detail page, but get them to buy. So there's yep. so many things going on, and we're not going to be able to cover all this. So we're gonna nope. we're gonna do we're gonna have to do a part two, but at least for the the remaining few minutes we have, I want to focus on the main product image, so to speak, in yep. terms of what is the best way to create that? What are some elements because that not only works on the search results page, but also what, once you land on the product detail page, that's still showing as the first image. And then you have all the rest of it. So um, tell us your, your recommendations.
0: Yeah the main what is image is the best is,
1: way to make up that main product image.
0: Yeah no, absolutely. The main image is not designed to close the sale. It's not designed to convert them, right? It's designed to grab the shopper's attention when they're still searching, right? You're just trying to get visibility. You're trying to get noticed among a crowd of competitors. And so that main image has got to stand out compared to what your competitors have as their main image. What that means is you've got to go in and you've got to say, okay, here's my main image. Here's the rest of my competitors that come up in search results around mine. How do I pop? How do I stand out? How do I grab the eye of the shopper so that their eye is immediately drawn to my image and then secondarily my title, right? Because the title is going to be used, uh, very short language in order to try to pull them in and say, hey, there's something unique here. There's something different about this product. The main image is just to grab their, their, grab their eyeball. You literally have like a split second to be able to do that, especially if they're scrolling down on a mobile phone that main image, a uh, high color contrast compared to your competitors. In other words, if everybody has a, a red product, an image, your main image with a red product is not going to stand out because everybody's got the same color, right? If everybody had um, a box behind their their product in their main image and, and all of them were black color, a black color box behind yours is not going to stand out, right? Because it blends in with your competition. So look for opportunity. I've seen, uh, I've seen it done with, You've got like, uh, you know, kitchen pots and pans, and maybe somebody's showing, you know, there's food in a pan, and maybe there's a bright red apple sitting next to it. Very subtle, but even that kind of, that's almost like a hack as far as the main image to draw the shopper's eye to some kind of differentiating bright color, uh, you know, a, a red, yellow, blue, green, something that's, that stands out, that's, that's vivid. Uh, something that has a uh, second would be contrast usually most product packaging has very has, has too much text in the main uh, the main packages you see this especially in supplement labels is a seller will say well okay here's the supplement you know label and if there's a whole bunch of small text shoppers not going to be able to see especially on a mobile phone so what you need to do on those cases is you don't have to necessarily change your label but you do need to change your main image so that the, the font size of maybe whatever the greatest benefit of that product is, is larger than normal, right? Not takes up all the white space and, and Amazon's obviously gonna see that as an overlay of text, but more like maximize uh, the size of the text of some kind of keyword benefit that is going to draw the eye because people get drawn to, like I said, bright colors, uh, large text that so they can kind of zone in on read people's faces. Some of these things like people's faces, Amazon doesn't usually like you to have things other than the product on the main image. So sometimes you'll see sellers that get away with it. Uh, you definitely want to have that in your uh, your secondary images. If you can get away with it in your main image and you're the only one that has somebody's, you know, smiling face next to it, in, you know, and it's relevant to the product, then that makes sense. Definitely no Photoshop work on that.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Um there is so much here and uh, we're going to continue so anybody listening you're hearing straight from the expert Brian runs canopy management and they do a great job for this so we're going to bring him back for part 2 because we're going to go through the main the, the 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 product images on the product detail page we're going to go through the bullets we're going to go through the a plus premium yeah. a plus and then we're going to discuss the metrics, how to measure success. So, so stay tuned for part two. So, uh, But now we want to get to know you a little bit. So how do you get to be where you are? So typically, you know, this is my most favorite part of the recording uh, because I'd like to get to know my guests intimately. So tell us, uh, take us back to the beginning. Where did you grow up? And share with us some of your early childhood experiences.
0: Certainly. So, um, all right. So (laughs) my path here, I guess. So, uh, when I, I I was born in the United States, I was born uh, outside of a city called Portland, Oregon, and which is up in the Pacific Northwest corner of the United States. And, uh, yeah, I grew up there, um, had always been, I was always kind of envious of hearing, hearing, uh, you know stories of like the entrepreneur who was selling candy to their classmates in school it's like man i wish i was that kid but i wasn't i was i was kind of i got late you know later start so it probably wasn't until i was probably a good 11 12 years old that i was really starting to get into like the side hustle nights weekends back then there was no internet you know so it was things like um you know uh, drop shipping and and local you know kind of local auction and resale kind of hustle those kind of things right um Stuffing envelopes, you know, these kind of gimmicks, you know, back from uh, you know, back from the early 80s. Uh and it just it always it was always there. It always always working on. I had always had my day job. I was extremely reliable as an employee when I started working, uh, about 15 years old. I started, you know, just getting your standard W-2 job. And I did that consistently for decades, way, way too long, <laughs> That's what that like. because I always had that nights and weekend pull to be doing something else, to be doing more. And at the time, I always thought it's like, oh, no, I'm stretching myself in because I'm going to college and um, I am, uh, you know, hanging out with friends and I'm dating and all these kind of things. Right. And so I could really only do one business. And I didn't realize that there is ability. Uh, The more experience you get, the more failures you have, the more successes you have, To realize uh, you start getting more than just one business. You don't rely on just having one leg to stand on, right? You have multiple things. But it wasn't until jumping really far forward here, it wasn't until things started changing as far as after uh, back in 2001, after 9-11, a lot of the companies, uh, a lot of the big companies that I would work for. They you know they were they were laying off, right? And they were downsizing. And so I got wrapped up into that and I took an opportunity to retire early, uh, even at a, at a pretty young age there retire early from that company, and switched over and said, like, okay, I'm gonna go out, I'm going to I did some travel, but did about three months of travel. and then I came back and I started uh, working on my own uh, e-commerce business and uh, back then it was still, Still fairly early with the uh, uh, internet. It was still in the first few years. So it wasn't like, you know, the big e commerce beh- behemoths. eBay was the big one back then. And so I would start uh, buying and reselling on eBay. That turned into drop shipping. Uh, it turned into drop shipping specifically for several, several brands of uh, banking equipment, acqu- money counters, coin sorters, fraud detectors. And I've got some pretty interesting stories, including the the AMC series, Breaking Bad, which was a fun one. Um, and so I was doing that and it was a huge, huge amount of work for, you know, a lot of sales, but very small margins. So I wasn't really making anything off of that. And it wasn't until, you know, life throws things at you, right? And so you either fall down or you step up and, and you keep fighting. And so, um you know, I got up and learned how to, to, to grow from any kind of big setback that I would have and get better. And that meant I, you know, I'd hit the gym and I try, you know, work out more often and I would start reading instead of watching TV. And, and I don't want to come across as saying like, like, Oh, I'm not one of these guys that, you know, uh, has salt in my diet and don't watch TV. And I, you know, no, 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 no. I, I, I enjoy my life. Right. I actually like entertainment and, you know, and, and, uh, you know, having beer and wine and, you know, whatever, you know, occasionally it, it's more of a case of, I continue to recognize that each year I lived every five years, I always look back kind of like every five years and I was like, man, I didn't know anything five years ago. Um, but now I know so much, right. Like just pat myself on, on the back with some, some newfound arrogance. Right and every 5 years i do the same thing it's like man I, I man i was just an idiot 5 years ago right and and it's funny is because um, i i continue to that to this day you know like i look back like last year i didn't know anything 5 years ago i didn't know anything it's just I, because i'm constantly trying to push myself um, even though my brain my body doesn't want to be i want to be lazy i i want to you know, sit around and eat pizza and, and drink beer and sit on the couch and watch Netflix, you know, for the next six, six days, you know, I, I honestly, that's, uh, I would love to do that. But I also recognize that it, I've got responsibilities, I've got uh, dreams that I want to hit, I've got things I want to do with my family. And I want their dreams to come true. And that continues to pull me out of any kind of self doubt or any kind of setbacks. Or uh, in other words, I always look for those reasons in order to pull forward and
1: i i have a question for you i'm just yeah. <laughs> saying, i picked up something that you said earlier you wanted to as a kid you wanted to be that kid selling lemonade or you know what's something on the
0: side but you never thought you could actually i think it was more of a case of as an adult i looked back and said i wish i had started that early In other words, I wish I had not, I wish I had started my entrepreneurial journey much sooner rather than getting wrapped up into the, you know, the 40 hour work week, you know, paycheck to paycheck kind of. um, But that's, that's
1: way, that's way down the road as a, as a kid, you didn't, for whatever reason, as a kid, you, you wanted to, but something stopped you
0: You, you know, what? You I don't
1: didn't pursue it until later. What was it that stopped you?
0: Well, no, but what I, I guess what I was saying on that is that, you know, I hear people today as an adult, I hear people say like, yeah, they started an entrepreneurial journey and they were selling candy to the kids. We didn't really have that. We didn't have, you know, I, I wasn't in school with kids that were that entrepreneurial, right? Maybe the rules didn't apply. Maybe it was a case that nobody wanted to take a risk. Maybe I was in the wrong schools where the hustle wasn't there. I didn't see examples of it. Right. Oh, I, I didn't see, see somebody see. out there selling, you know, you know, buying a chocolate milk carton, you know, for 50 cents and selling it to another kid for a buck. You know, I probably would have done it. You know, um, did you share those uh, thoughts you, you, you had with your parents? No, no. I, I think they're always just kind of making sure because I think, you know, they they were both full time employees. You know, I mean, they they were their day job, you know, yeah. every so, so
1: till down the road. So uh, this is interesting because you know I, I kind of identify with this because my whole family they are all doctors. Everybody in my family, my mother's side, my father's yes. side, everybody doctor. And and those few that didn't become doctors, their kids became doctors. So so and I was a good student and they looked at me as okay he's going to be the next doctor in the family. So but I needed I did not have any interest. So uh, I, I'm the first one in the family who became a business person. So I had no inspiration from anybody. I right. had no encouragement from anybody. It's it's like um, there wasn't an environment for me to pick up anything of business until college, except in college, I started to produce stuff. Like, you know, I would invent because I, I studied electronics and communications and and i would create these uh, gadgets literally invent them based on what i learned and then come and then uh, you know buy the components and mass produce them at home you know while i was in college so but you know that that thing inside of me i guess finally said okay enough is enough you you need to do this because that's who you are so that's what i'm hearing from you you didn't have the environment to engage in anything entrepreneurial right Correct. and then Ultimately, it kind of came out. You cannot stop these things. It's, it's part of you, right?
0: Yeah, I think I was always trying to, um, my, honestly, when I was growing up, you know, as a, you know, an, an older kid and becoming a teenager is, I didn't look at it and say I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Like didn't, the word really didn't resonate with me, right? You know, like I, you know, I saw where, um, you know, people had businesses out there you know landscaping and that kind of stuff, right? You know, cleaning parking lots. It's like, it's like, okay, I can understand that. But I wasn't thinking like, like, oh, well, you know, what's the ROI on that? What's the margins? You know, it's like <laughs> how much how much labor is that required? No, I had no clue as far as that goes, because you're right. I didn't have the environment. I didn't have the education. I had no encouragement to say, hey, you know what, you should look at this. Something that I try to plant those seeds with my own two sons is just, you know, if they want to go out and they want to get, you know, a job and have a career in an established you know, traditional field. Cool. Go for it. That's what you love to do, but just make sure it's something you love to do, you know? Yeah. And so I yeah. want to try to give them some width, but growing up, honestly, I wanted to be a robotics engineer. I love the science. I loved, um, I, I already went and, and picked out what college I was going to go to. I was going to go to um, Southern uh, Oregon for the uh, Oregon Institute Institute of Technology, and uh, and they had, you know, they had a, a crew team. I was going to join the crew team, and I was going to go to college and everything. But neither of my parents were college graduates. My oh. brother was not a college graduate. My older brother. I had no real examples. I didn't have the environment to say this is how you pursue getting the the grades that are good enough and to get accept to apply and to get accepted to a university instead of just going to community college. And so I didn't, I didn't do anything. I didn't have that environment. What I had was the environment of the, you know, a, a middle class, you go to work every single day. And you know what? That was my work ethic. I went, to, I went to work every single day I was always reliable I never was unemployed you know I um, I didn't uh, I didn't get fired until until I was very much an adult <laughs> you know until I was probably mid30s you know and, yeah, I would include being laid off as being fired uh, actually only one job in my life I actually truly got fired and I thought I deserved it and, and there was no question about it um, but I was always I always had a job I was always working full time. I was always, sometimes' even working two jobs. And, um, and going to school, you know? And so it wasn't, uh, I thought that I was working hard enough. I just wasn't working in the right area. I wasn't working on where I had no idea what my passion was. I had like, Oh, what do you love? It's like, I don't know. I like watching TV. You know, I like, you know, playing with <laughs> robotics, you know, watching, you know, reading popular science, you know, I was a geek. Um, still am by the way. Uh, but, um, I, I think you need know, to hit, hit it correctly is that, is that my environment, I would ca- characterize as too soft to push a decision for me to make. Yeah. In other words, I look at, you know, there's musicians, there's business owners that come out of, you know, uh, very, uh, you know, very poor, very rough parts of the country. And I think they do that because they clearly don't, they don't look at their environment and say, this is what I want. This is what's right for me. It's the opposite of that. They said, I don't want this, you know, I need to break out. And so they, they put themselves on a path in order to break away from this. Right. My wife did the same thing. She, she, she's told me stories about how you know, she grew up in uh, El Paso, Texas, and there was a lot of gangs around there. And she was just, you know, perfect age for, to become a gang member, frankly. And she was recruited constantly. To become part of you know whatever game, but they also didn't cross the line. They recognized that like she committed her time full time to basketball. She became the best basketball uh, player that she could for women's basketball, and she did really well at that because she always she knew that she was trying to break away from that environment. Something her brother got trapped into. She knew she needed to break away, so she created her own strength. She created her own new environment in order to get away from that. And I think in my case, I was too. Everything seemed reasonable. Oh, we went camping. We've got a house. We've got a boat. Yeah. You know, uh, we live in the suburbs. You know, everything was just like, like, why do I need to change? This is good enough. This is good. This is fine. You, you know, know what? I, I have to push me.
1: You know, there is a saying: we are a product of our environment. Yeah. except yep. that in this conversation I think we deserve to rephrase that because we both share the same kind of approach we are a product of our environment until we're not <laughs> so because it's the same thing yeah. we, we were it was this, you know I was I was a student I was I would study hard and do things and then think about oh one day I'm gonna become a doctor my parents thought the same same thing for you. You know, you don't, you know, there's no, there's this, this concept of there's got to be a better way when you run into a challenge that, that never really hit, but then one day suddenly no more, right? The, now yeah. you're thinking there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way to live, a better way to pursue what I want and, and so on and so forth. This is so, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it's fascinating to me. You've heard concept.
0: the. Yeah, the story, the story example that's always used in like multi-level marketing and um is they always talk about like the parent who worked at the same company for 30, 40 years and they they retired and all they they got was a cheap gold watch. My dad has one of those cheap gold watches. And so I, I recognize that, and I'm like, oh crap. <laughs> you know, it's like like, yeah, I don't want I don't want that, but that doesn't exist anymore. There's no more. You know, there's no company loyalty, really. I mean, it's temporary, but it's always I mean, you, know, you know the
1: changes. you know Jim Carrey's story, the comedian Jim Carrey. I yeah,
0: I, I mean, I I don't know. I, I know that he, I think he was going down the accounting route, right? Wasn't he?
1: Well, what happened was
0: his father. He loved first of, all, first of all, his he loved
1: his father, and his father was very funny, and he wanted to be like his father, except that his father had kids and family. And in order to support them, he had to become an accountant. And he worked for this company for years. And one day when he was 50-something, he was fired. And they, had to, they became homeless. They lived out of their van. So he said to himself, I will never be like my father, where I'm, I'm going to choose something else to do in my life. Instead of doing what I love, yeah, and mm. and that's what that's what he chose. And I mean, his you know he's a comedian, but these days he's become very philosophical. But he wrote himself a check for ten million dollars. You know that story, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I've heard it. But yeah, I
1: yeah, I mean, he he, and everything he did growing up. When I say growing up, growing as a comedian, doing stand up gigs, and it was always first to make sure that his father liked it because his father was a great comedian. And of course he was all over the place, no money, no nothing. And one day he, Mm -hmm. he writes himself a check for $10 million dates it five years from that date. And then on the check, it says for acting services rendered. And before the five years were up, he was already making that. So I mean it's very inspirational, and he he looked at his his father was his role model, but not because of what he did, because of who he was and how funny he was, and uh, it's it's amazing. I mean you your, your wife's situation, she resisted because she knew better, and uh, it's. And then we kind of stayed with our environment and then ultimately all the roads lead to the same place, which is who you are. Right. Yeah.
0: I, I honestly, I mean, I, it's probably taken me, you know, a good 15 years to get to where I'm at now from, from what I started, you know, like I wasn't living in a, out of a van, but you know, pretty close to it. <clears throat> um, and, and I, somebody says like, yeah, you had a pretty fast success. And I said, yeah, it only took me 15 years. And I'm like, wait, what? It's like, yeah. it's like, yeah, it's like, that's just, that's just normal. It's like, you see the last one or two years of success and think that's when it happens. It just instantly happens. Like, no, you know, I've been, I've been, I've been failing for, you know, 12 years before that, you know,
1: yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. and, and if
0: you're not willing to fail and not willing to try a lot of different things, you'll never find the thing that you're passionate about. And that's wow. something that there, you know, it's finding your passion. It's all, you know, by trying a lot of different things and failing at most of them in order to find the few things that you're actually good at or you like doing and you can continue to get better at um, when, when you're talking about as far as like, you know, writing down, you know, the $10 million check, right. It's a matter of setting a vision, setting a goal and focusing on that because it's not like I highly doubt that Jim Carrey went and just like, okay, he wrote that and he he stuck it in a book and he totally forgot about it. He probably looked at that thing constantly. Probably carried it around with
1: him. Exactly.
0: And I would say probably in the last, you know, five, six months, I've been working with, with a coach that, and I've worked with other coaches in the past and never resonated with them. But the one I'm working with now is just amazing for me. Right. It just resonates perfectly with me. Um, And the most personal growth that I've seen in the last 20 years, I've seen in the last five months, frankly, um, for me. And Mm -hmm one of the biggest things that he had to pull me up to help me create a new environment to pull me forward to is to get to the point where I created a des- daily discipline that I could never achieve on my own, even though I tried um, and to focus in on a vision that I wanted for the rest of my year where I was budgeting and prioritizing my time. And I look at it every single morning and I'm accountable to him. Where I tell him, did I look at it or not? And I'll tell him flat out, yes, I did it or no, I failed. Cool. Get back on tomorrow or get, or, or what's your plan for the next two hours to get back on it? And I find is that more that I, I look at it, it's not just look at it because I've done the whole sticky notes around the monitor and my lists and everything, but it's not until I, I take the same information and I rewrite it every single morning. I reprocess what, what is my goal? What do I need to get there? That's when, as he says, you, you've connected with what your vision is, right. you, with your target. You're not simply just observing something, a decision you made earlier. You're reliving it every single morning. So every single morning, I get more intentional, more dedicated, more intense about where I want to go for myself and my family. No question. The amount of I, I mean, I wish I would have had this 30 years ago you know, 40, 50 years ago, <laughs> um, but it, you know, it's that. better late yes. than never. I've got a whole new passion, you know, now.
1: Yeah. They don't teach that kind of stuff in school. I wish no, they did, no. but uh, yeah, critical thinking and actually
0: like <laughs> being able yeah. to focus. Yeah. No. <laughs> this,
1: this is great, Brian. So tell us, uh, we're going to do a part two, but uh, share with us, how can people reach you and uh, and give us your contact information?
0: Absolutely. I mean, so probably the simplest one. I mean, I think I probably have the most communication now on LinkedIn. Used to be Facebook. Now it's mostly LinkedIn. Um, Brian R. Johnson. You probably search on LinkedIn and find me there. Otherwise, my company, of course, CanopyManagement.com, and you can even email me directly. I will accept that. Uh, it's Brian B R I A N at CanopyManagement.com. Great.
1: Thank you, Brian. Thank you for being here.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for the conversation. This has been great.
1: Thank you and uh, see you again soon.
0: Sounds good. this,
1: This brings us to the end of another episode and I'll see you on the next one.
0: If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe, rate and review the episode and share it with someone
1: you think would benefit from it too.